You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole, St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. All right, if you have your Bible or your Bible app, take that and let's go to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. While you're turning there, I've got just a couple of announcements for you, some exciting things. It's been a really exciting week, actually, in the life of Faith Church. Uh, I've just come back from uh, our regional uh, leadership meeting that we have about once a quarter, and uh, we've just commissioned, just sent out another church planter. So you've been hearing about this over the months, that we've had a gentleman who's been coming through our process as a church planter. We sent him out just yesterday. He's going to be planting a church called Seaside Church in the Ponte Vedra area, so between Jacksonville and St. Augustine. His name is Brady Haynes. I'm going to ask you to add him to your prayer list, and you'll be hearing a lot more about him in the days ahead. Brady Haynes uh, planting Seaside Church. So that's an exciting thing. Faith Church, this is the third church plant that we have participated in. Uh, in recent years. We have a church in the Bahamas. We have a church in New York. We have this church now that's being planted in the Ponte Vedra area, and many, many more will come. But I want you to see that you're a part of that. It is through your generosity every month that we are able to plant churches. So you are a part of Seaside Church. I want you to to understand that today and, and to be praying for Brady and his family. So that's exciting. More exciting news. You should have received an email from me this week. If you didn't, that means you haven't signed up for our weekly email update. Please do so. But you should have received an email giving you some great news that Faith Church has now been approved for a loan of $450,000 to complete the work of phase one. So let's just praise God for that, can we? Can we just praise God for that? Because this has been a journey. As you know, if you've been around for a while, this has been a journey. Uh, our leaders met. We prayed. You know, we were, we were turned down from the first bank we went to, or at least they gave us a not yet, you know, I think just due to the uncertainty of the economy and all of that. And so it would have been very easy for us to just say, okay, fine, we're just going to quit. Maybe this isn't what the Lord wants us to do. But none of us felt that way. As a leadership team, we prayed and we discussed and we decided to move forward with a plan B. So we went to some local institutions, local lenders that share our vision for impacting our local community. And praise God, both of them approved us for the loan. And so we were able to look at the terms and again, pray and talk together. And we landed with Mid-Florida Credit Union. We've signed a commitment letter with them. They've given us a closing date, uh, an estimated closing date of December the 9th. So we hope and pray that our November... Uh, prayer time over in the preschool will be the last time that we pray in that unfinished building. How cool would that be, right? So thank you to all of you who have gathered in the preschool over the last two months, have prayed. God has heard our prayers. He's providing, providing a way for us to complete that preschool and understand what that represents. That's more and more families, more and more children that will hear about Jesus through our teachers, through our ministries of the school and the church that will be exposed to the life-changing truth of the gospel. So this is the mission that God has given us. So I just want to encourage you. God has heard our prayers, and now he's going to continue to provide through our generosity. So for all of you who have been praying and giving, thank you. And if you haven't yet started giving faithfully each month, man, what a great time to start. What a great mission to participate in as we expand that preschool Get on board with us. We need you. God works through the generosity of his people. So praise him. All glory to God. I just wanted to give you that update. Okay, all of that said, now if you'll stand up, we're going to read some scripture. We've come today, finally, to the end 
of the book of Revelation. And I want to read just a couple of verses here from chapter 21. We stand out of eagerness and reverence. We believe this is God's word and we're ready to hear from him. So listen carefully to Revelation 21, 1 to 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This, this is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So Faith Church, we've made it. I'm proud of you. We've endured the book of Revelation together. Can you believe it? we got a lot of people in the worship center today, and I'm not sure if you're here because you really didn't want to miss the last week or if you're here because you're so glad it's over. I'm not really sure how to interpret it. But this is a complex book, right? I mean, it's the final, but it's the most fascinating book of the Bible. It's a challenging book. I hope this series has been both encouraging and challenging for you. I've received a lot of questions from you, sometimes in person, sometimes in writing throughout this series, and I've tried my best to respond to as many of them as possible. Probably the two most common questions have been, how can I share this series, like the whole series, with others? And then, if I want to continue studying the book of Revelation, what are some helpful resources? So I want to take just a few minutes to respond to both of those questions here by way of introduction. First of all, the easiest way to share the entire series is to go to our YouTube channel. Okay, so if you go to YouTube and you type in Faith Church Seminole, don't forget the Seminole part, it will take you to our YouTube channel. looks just like this. And you'll notice that we have playlists. We have a playlist for every major sermon series we do. So Victorious is right now our most recent playlist. You'll find every week of this 10-week series there. All of our Sunday content is free. It's always available on our YouTube channel. It's very easy to access. Make sure that you and the friends that you're sharing this with have subscribed to our YouTube channel. And that's probably the easiest way for you to revisit this series if you'd like to or for you to share the content with others. Now, what about resources? Many of you have said, hey, listen, this has been great, but I'd love to study Revelation in more depth than we were able to get into in the 10 weeks of this series. What are some helpful books, some helpful resources? In the spirit of Revelation, let me give you seven. And with these seven resources, you will be completely ready, or at least this will be a good place to start. So here's my top seven resources. These are some of the things that I've leaned on heavily throughout this series that I think you'll find helpful in different ways. The best academic commentary, if you're the type of person that is, you're a deep reader, like you like books that are a brick, you can prop a door open with them, you want to go line by line through the book of Revelation, and you want to look at the Greek text, like if you're that type of guy or gal, then Greg Beale's commentary on the book of Revelation is probably the best academic resource. He has a shorter commentary, leaves all the Greek stuff out, much easier to read, but also very, very helpful. So if you're looking for a serious scholarly study, Greg Beale's books are uh, going to be really helpful. 
The best practical commentary, I would say, is the one by Daryl Johnson. Note that's Daryl, not Dwayne Johnson. That would be a totally different type of book. Daryl Johnson's book, Discipleship on the Edge, an expository journey through the book of Revelation. If you were in a small group, you know, three to five people, and you're thinking, man, we'd really love to study Revelation more in depth, this book would be probably the best one because it is an expository verse-by-verse study, but it's written as a collection of 30 sermons. So it's very readable, very practical. I think you'll find it tremendously helpful. The best thematic or kind of poetic study is the one that I mentioned last week, and I'll quote from this again today, Eugene Peterson's book, Reversed Thunder, The Revelation of John and the Praying Imagination. Anything written by the late Presbyterian pastor Eugene Peterson is going to be helpful in content and beautiful in style. He was just incredible with ink. He has wonderful things to say and a wonderful way of saying it. Uh, each chapter of this book is thematic. All of the chapter titles are the last word on something. So the last word on evil, the last word on politics. You get the idea? That would be a helpful resource. The best book on Roman imperialism. Remember, we've talked a lot in this series about the deep story of John's day. How the architecture and the inscriptions and the celebrations and the announcements, all of it pointed to Rome and wanted people to worship Rome. That's this idea of the imperial cult. The best book on that, if you'd like to learn a little more about it, is this one by David De Silva called Unholy Allegiances, Heeding Revelation's Warning. Really, really helpful book. Just two more. The best book on spiritual beings and spiritual warfare, not just for the spiritual beings that are mentioned in Revelation, but maybe if you just have questions about, you know, angels and demons throughout the Bible, there's an Australian scholar named Graham Cole who's written a really helpful book called Against the Darkness, The Doctrine of Angels, Satan, and Demons. You have to be careful with this subject, right? Because there's a lot of wacky stuff out there. Graham Cole is a very careful reader of the Bible, and I think you'll find this work helpful. And then here's my best overall resource. If you're looking for just one thing, you got, you know, $20 in your budget, you want to buy one book on Revelation, definitely buy this one. Richard Baucom's book, The Theology of the Book of Revelation. Richard Baucom is one of the top two or three New Testament scholars in the world today. He wrote this book 30 years ago, and it's still unparalleled. There is nothing better for helping us read Revelation responsibly, taking the genre seriously. It's apocalyptic literature. It's a first century letter. And it has a profound theological message for us today. Bauckham is so good in bringing out that profound theology. You might remember I quoted him earlier in this series. Bauckham says that Revelation's greatest contribution is not a chart of end times. It's a picture of our sovereign God. Here's the quote again. I want to read this to you one more time. Bauckham puts it like this. He says, in Revelation... God's sovereignty, his supreme power, is seen as it is already fully acknowledged in heaven. This establishes it as the true reality which must in the end also prevail on earth. On earth, the powers of evil challenge God's rule and even masquerade as the ultimate power over all things, claiming divinity. But... Heaven is the sphere of ultimate reality. What is true in heaven must become true on earth. Look, if you forget everything else about this entire series, and I hope you don't, but if you do, you've got to remember this one point. In fact, open your Bible right now if you write in it, and somewhere at the beginning of Revelation in the margin, write those words that we all know so well. 
the words from the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the key to understanding the book of Revelation. This entire vision we've been studying from start to finish, it's all about the kingdom of God coming from heaven to earth. Now let's pick up right where we left off last week. Last week we saw the end, Revelation 19 and 20. We saw the return of the lion lamb, Jesus. He's wielding his sword word. He speaks. That's all he has to do. He speaks and the dragon and his allies are destroyed. Evil is eradicated. The throne of God comes from heaven to earth. And as it does, the earth fades away. Chapter 20 tells us that the earth flees from the presence of the throne. This creation, this earth, so corrupted by sin, so polluted by evil, it must be purified. It must be radically renovated. There will be a new creation. Now, what will this new creation be like? What will it be like? We get a very important hint in chapter 21, verse 5. Chapter 21, verse 5 says, He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Now, behold is a, a prompter of attention. It's a stop sign. Stop, look, listen, don't miss this. I am making all things new. Now, notice what God doesn't say. God doesn't say, Behold, I am making all new things. He doesn't say that. He's not scrapping creation starting over. He says, I'm making all things new. This new creation, it will be much like this one. It will be a physical creation. The story of the Bible begins with a physical creation and it ends with a new physical creation. I hope by now, that this study of Revelation has helped you get rid of this thinking that comes from pop culture, this idea that before things get really bad, God's going to just beam us up. He's going to get us out of here. You know, the rapture, we're gone. And then in the end, one day, there's going to be this great cosmic evacuation and we're all just going to float up into the clouds. Listen, I know that that's what Pop culture teaches us. I know it's what you see in movies and read in books and cartoons and all of that. But it is dreadfully inconsistent with the Bible. Dreadfully inconsistent. There is no idea in the book of Revelation of escaping this earth. Listen to me. However you picture the new creation, you must picture it as a physical place. Let's do this. Hold up your right hand for just a second. Little physical exercise here, okay? Just touch yourself on the shoulder. You feel that? Right? Okay, now if you're sitting next to your spouse, touch your spouse's leg. Don't go too far with it, you know. Don't make it uncomfortable for the people around you. You feel that, right? Just squeeze your hand. Just squeeze. Make a fist. You feel that? Solidity, right? It's solid. There will be a solidity to the new creation. You will feel it. 
We're not talking about floating in the clouds. Christians, that's not your ultimate hope. Your ultimate hope is not to just someday float up into outer space and there float forever. No. The story of the Bible runs from physical creation to new physical creation. Now, how do we know this? We know this because of Revelation 21 and 22. Throughout these chapters, the new creation is described as a new world, a new garden, and even a new city. A new city. Listen to what Eugene Peterson says in that book that I mentioned earlier, Reverse Thunder. He helps us get the point that I'm trying to make here of the solidity of the new creation. He picks up on this imagery of the city. Here's what he says. Many people want to go to heaven the way they want to go to Florida. They think the weather will be an improvement and the people decent. No, they haven't been to Florida. But the biblical heaven is not a nice environment far removed from the stress of hard city life. It is the invasion of the city by the city, the city of God. We enter heaven not by escaping what we don't like, but by the sanctification of the place in which God has placed us. There is not so much as a hint of escapism in St. John's heaven. This is not a long eternal weekend away from the responsibilities of employment and citizenship, but the intensification and healing of them. Heaven is formed out of dirty streets and murderous alleys, adulterous bedrooms and corrupt courts, hypocritical synagogues and commercialized churches, thieving tax collectors and traitorous disciples. A city, a city, but now... A holy city. A holy city. Now look, here's why I'm hammering on this so much. If you don't understand this, first of all, you will never fully anticipate the afterlife. I mean, who wants to float forever in the clouds? I don't want to sign up for that. But secondly, you will never be as motivated to minister in the present. You have to see that when we work and witness... When we give and pray for the good of our city now, we are trying to move our city in the same direction that God is taking all things in the end. We work for the good of our city now, knowing that we are participating in God's plan for His entire creation. A holy city. A new creation that one day will come in full. God will do it. Behold, I am making all things New. Now, this new creation, we're going to look at it very quickly. And there's a lot, a lot of different ways we could have done this this morning, but what I decided to do is I want us to focus on what's not going to be there. I've made the point that it's a solid place, but certain things will be different. Certain things will be missing, seven of them in particular. Let's look at them one at a time, spend just a couple of minutes on each one. What's missing in this new creation? Well, the first thing that's missing is mass chaos. Mass chaos is completely gone. Look at verse 1, 21 verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, the first thing to make sure we see here is the death and resurrection pattern established by Jesus himself. Jesus dies and he is raised. He's the beginning of the new creation. What do we have here at the end when Jesus returns? The first heaven and the first earth pass away. Death 
and the new creation rises. This new creation is the joining of heaven and earth. God's kingdom is coming from heaven to earth, remember? What is this new creation? It's planet heaven. It's planet heaven. The joining of heaven and earth. And the first thing we see that's missing is the sea. The sea was no more. Now, by now, you know that the sea in the book of Revelation is a symbol of chaos. This doesn't mean that you can't swim in the new creation. You can. The sea represents all chaotic forces, evil, everything that threatens God's will and God's work. All of it will be gone and gone forever. It means that there will be no mass chaos. There will be no natural disasters. No mobs and violent protesters. No terrorist attacks like 9-11. All of it will be gone forever. But it's not just that mass chaos will be gone. It's also that personal pain will be gone. That's the second thing. Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Look, I don't know what your church background is. I don't even know if you're a believer. Maybe you were raised in such a way and you've seen things that you have this view of God that God is just angry. Some people, that's, that's the way they think of God, and maybe that's you. I want you to read this verse. And I want you to feel how very personal it is that God himself will one day wipe away our tears. I could probably count on one hand the times that I've cried in my adult life. I don't tend to cry a lot. There's only been a few people that have seen me cry, but there's an even shorter list of people who have actually been there to wipe my tears. I mean, the intimacy you have to have with someone, right? Do you feel how personal this is? That the God of the universe, He will wipe away your tears. And do you feel the permanence of the healing? It's not just that He's going to wipe away those tears and they're going to be replaced with other tears. No, this, this is the end of all mourning. The end of all suffering. So many of us know what it's like to be in that hospital room and, and to receive the news that we never wanted to receive. She has cancer. He has had a stroke. Her heart is failing. We know what it's like to hear that news and to cry and then just cry some more because it's all we can do. Friends, listen, in the new creation, there will be no news to bring tears. None of it. No mourning, no pain, no death. No death. This is the Christian hope. People all around us die every day. Regardless of their age, stage of life, some people battle cancer for years before death takes them. Some people are perfectly healthy one day, and they're just gone the next. One of my favorite novels is a Wendell Berry novel called Jaber Crow. And in this book, Jaber Crow, the main character, he's 
a barber and a grave digger in the small town of Port William. He's buried a lot of people in his life. It's never been easy. It's always been intimate. This is what he says. He describes it like this. Dying is something we all encounter. Digging a grave. Digging a grave is one thing. I was always glad for company when I was digging a grave, but filling a grave, filling a grave is another thing altogether. There's something just about unbearably intimate about filling a grave, especially if it matters to you whose grave it is. I would rather do it myself. I would rather, if I had my rathers, not be seen doing it. It is the very giving of the body to the earth, the sealing over of its absence, until the end of the world. Those of us who have lost someone, we know. When you lose someone who truly, truly matters to you, we feel their absence as an abiding presence, don't we? But the Christian hope is that one day, all of our brothers and sisters in Christ, we will see them again. Death is not the end of the story. And one day in this new creation, death itself will die. No more pain. No more sadness. No more death. The third thing that we see that's missing in the new creation is interpersonal conflict. Look at verse 8. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The main idea here is that sin is no longer present. In the new creation, there is no sin. At the end of the chapter, it talks about that nothing unclean will ever enter this city. All sin will be gone. Right now, believers, we struggle with sin. It's still present within us. Jesus has power over it, but sin is still present in our lives. And so we have, as the Apostle Paul calls it, these dueling desires. On the one hand, I desire to please God. And on the other hand, at times, I find myself desiring the very things that I know displease God. So I have these dueling desires. And as long as we have these... And when we choose to act on our sinful desires, we cause conflict. We bring hurt. Look at the sins, the type of actions that are given as an example here. The cowardly, murderers, the sexually immoral. All of these things are harmful to others. This is what our sin does. When we sin, we break God's law and we also break God's heart. And when we sin, we break the hearts of those we love. We break the lives of those we love. So when sin is gone, conflict is gone. There's only peace and lasting peace. Hey, listen to me. Some of you are going to be so much easier to get along with just wait. No more conflict. No more conflict. The fourth thing that's missing in this new creation is the sacred secular divide. 
Look at verse 22, skipping down to the end of the chapter. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Now, the temple in the Old Testament was the place of God's presence. It was the place where the people went to meet with God, to fellowship with God. How, then, can there be no temple in the new creation? Does this mean that God is not present in the new creation? It's just the opposite. It means that God is present everywhere everywhere. There is no longer a sacred secular divide. If you read chapter 22 carefully, you'll see that this new city is described as a perfect cube. Length, width, height, all the same, but it's a perfect cube. Why? Because in the Old Testament, in the temple was the Holy of Holies, and the Holy of Holies was a perfect cube. In the Old Testament, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, and he but once a year on the Day of Atonement. So what's the point here in Revelation 21? The whole creation is now the Holy of Holies. God will be present with his people in this new creation in a way that he is not present with us now. Now God is present throughout his, crea throughout his creation now, but it's a paradoxical presence. He's present and somehow still hidden, right? We interpret different things as evidence of the action of God, but we don't see God, not yet. But in the new creation, God will be present with us in a new way. The whole creation is the Holy of Holies. There is no sacred secular divide. Fifth, there's no natural light. Now, I was uh, going over these slides this morning, kind of rehearsing for the service like we always do. And when this one popped up, I have to tell you that from our sound booth up there, John shouted down, Great! In the new creation, no cheap beer. Natty Light? I'm not sure. I mean, probably there's not. Probably there's not cheap beer. But that's not the point here. Look at verse 23. The city has no need of sun or moon. So really the better way to say it is there's no need for natural light. Why? Because of the glory of God. God is present throughout the new creation in such a way that is radiant. He provides the light. There's no need for the sun and the moon to shine. Not only that, but there's no exclusion. Look at this little phrase in verse 25. The gates of this city, they will never be shut. No closed gates, no locked doors, no borders, no foreigners, no exclusion, only embrace. All the nations of the world will be present in the new creation. Why? Because the Lamb was slain for all nations. Every tribe and language, people and nation... Every nation will be there because the Lamb was slain and because the church has been faithful. The church has fulfilled her calling to go to the nations preaching the gospel. No exclusion. Anyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ, anyone whose name has been written in the Lamb's book of life, will be here in this new creation. Last one, and this is kind of a summary of it all. In chapter 22, this is the very end of the vision. We see that the curse is removed. Let me read this. The angels showed me the river, the water of life, 
bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. These images, these symbols, the river, the water of life, the tree of life, they recall Eden, the garden paradise at the very beginning of the biblical story, remember? But at the very beginning of the biblical story, we rebel. Humanity turns against God. And there is a result for our rebellion, which is sometimes referred to as the curse. But here in the new creation, we see that the curse is gone. The curse has been reversed. Well, what does that mean? What was the curse? When we rebelled in the beginning, it led to conflict. Conflict between people. Conflict between humanity and creation itself. Conflict between humanity and God. Separation from God. In the new creation, the new Eden, the curse is reversed. All that is broken in the world is fixed. It's repaired. Good is new, even better. And so we are finally able to see our Maker face to face. Now that part is tough to even imagine, but we gotta just let it sink in a little bit. I have followed Jesus for over 30 years. Some of you, much longer than that. He created me. He saved me. He sustains me. He has strengthened me through some of the darkest moments of my life. He has heard my prayers, bottled my tears guided my steps but I've never seen him not yet one day I will and fellow Christians so will you you will see Jesus face to face imagine it imagine all of it, the beauties of this new creation. At the very, very end of the Narnia series, the very last paragraph of the very last book, C.S. Lewis, he puts it like this. He says, the things that began to happen after that were so great and so beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world 
and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter 1 of the great story. The great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. I'll leave you with that. Let's pray. Oh God, this creation, right now, this creation belongs to you. Yes, it is full of sin and suffering, corruption and evil. But this creation is good because it is yours. We see now, as we've studied the book of Revelation, that you don't abandon this creation. There's not some grand cosmic evacuation in the end. No, Jesus, you're coming back. And you will purify this planet. All that is broken, you will fix it. You will redeem the earth. We long for that day where Jesus, you yourself tell us at the end of Revelation, surely I am coming soon. And we, your church, say, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We long for that day. And we want to live for that day. And that means that right now we work for the good of our city. We are people on a mission. We give. We pray, we work, we bear witness for the good of our city, for the good of this world, because the world belongs to you, God. We have our own deep stories of our day. Countless messages out there. Countless ways that we could interpret the events that are going on all around us. But God... We don't want to be deceived. The book of Revelation shows us what is happening in the world truly and where this world is going ultimately. So draw us into this story. We want to live there. Shape us to live in this story as your people Lord Jesus, you were victorious. The battle's been won. So we have no need to fear. No anxiety. Just hope. Faith. And faithfulness. Thank you, God. The lion lamb. He is victorious, and all who follow him will share in his victory. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen.